welcome to the seventh episode of SLD's podcast. Today we have an unusual format. The podcast is not recorded as we speak. Instead, it is being stitched together by Veronica, our heroic podmaster. And our guest today is Evgeny Bartov. For people working with Russian, he might or might not be familiar as the head of the Alliance program which includes a translation agency, School of Specialist Translators, and a recently established storytelling studio. Initially, Evgeny tried to graduate from Tomsk State Pedagogical University twice. There always was something that prevented him from getting it done. The first time when he studied German, that was the lack of money. The second time when he studied English, he simply failed to collect his diploma. After graduation, he worked for three years as a sales manager and an in-house translator at a small trading company from Belarus. He made his first steps in professional freelance translations in 2005. In 2006, with his wife, Anna, he founded a translation agency. In 2014, he founded the School of Specialist Translators, where he still works as a trainer. Apart from running the school and the translation agency, he writes book posts in Russian devoted to translation business, translation skills, and quality of translation. Uh, for myself, I follow those posts with great interest because they are not PR pieces. It's the blood, sweat, and tears of translation agency work, if you like. Welcome, Evgeny. And here are the questions that were recorded and the answers that Evgeny has provided. So you have been translating since 1998 and started managing Alliance Pro in 2006. How would you say translation industry in Russia has changed over time? It's rather a philosophical question to me. We are a boutique agency. So those global revolutions that destroy and upset giant translation businesses don't have a significant impact on us. One translation giant joins another. We don't care. What we see is the increase of low and decrease of high rates. I think it's just a regression toward the mean. Now about technologies. Of course, in 2006 there were CAD tools, probably not so advanced as now, but still. I worked in Atrial Deja Vu then, and most options I enjoyed that time I see in Trader Studio now. However, nothing lasts forever, and for the last five years we haven't heard of any success of Deja Vu. I think it's not with us anymore. Still, compared to 2006, neither Trader Studio, nor MemQ, nor MemSource are not a revolution. They are rather evolution. The situation with machine translation seems unclear to me. Three months ago, we got a job offer from a large Czech translation agency. They wanted us to post edit a big package of IT translations. I looked through this text. It was quite readable, editable, and I often see human translations of much lower quality. A week later, we've got another job offer from another European translation agency, and that time the only post-editing solution I could offer is to select all, press delete button and translate from scratch. The quality was awful. 
Anyway, I am not a Luddite. Efficiency is the king. Cookie cutter translations are for machines, rocket science ones are for humans. As for education, I see a lot of progress here. I remember when in 2005 I asked several translation gurus uh, to give me some master classes, but they gave me the air. Then I wanted to join some translation trainings at Moscow University. I lived in Moscow at that time. Uh, but those were either expensive or irrelevant. So skills development in Russia at that time was quite painful. Besides, the issue of translator specialization then was no more than an academic exercise. I remember there were medical, technical and legal translators. All others were unclassified general translators. Perhaps I uh, oversimplify the thing, but you got my idea. Even Boris Klimzo, the author of Technical Translator's Craft, in Russian it's Remeslo Technicheskoe Periodchika, didn't distinguish technical translators. And look what we have got now. There are machine building, electrotechnical, oil and gas specialists. Uh, these are good trends. I think because the cost of a mistake in rocket science translations is getting higher, so this, the distinction must evolve. Back to education. Nowadays there are some postgraduate translation schools. No more humiliation, no more looking for apprenticeships. You just choose courses, webinars, master classes or workshops the same way we choose the dishes in a menu card. And you can choose the style of training. You are just an unenrolled student that comes to get um, some basic rules, or you are a regular student that wants to go beyond the rules and to get as much practice as possible. Could you tell us what led you to decide to open a translation school? For those of you who don't know, the um, address of that website is apschool.ru, and we'll um, add a link to our show notes. So, Yevgeny, what are the criteria for choosing topics for the school, knowing the right person to teach, knowing there's um, unsatisfied demand for translators, or something entirely different? That's a kind of adventure. I've trained translators since 2011. Pilots and linguistic translation agencies, which were both my colleagues and my competitors at the same time uh, in Tomsk, perfectly knew about it. They wanted the source of fresh and qualified translators, as I did. In the end of 2013, Palex proposed, guys and girls, we all lack fresh and affordable translators, let's meet and discuss how to do that. We met in, a, in the cafe, sketched the agenda, made some suggestions. The only thing we lacked was a secretary and minutes. We discussed that for several hours, no final decisions were made, so we decided to think it over and to meet in a month or so. The next meeting was with the same result. And one month after the second meeting, I began having trouble with my agency. Translators raised their rates, but delivered lower quality, which inevitably led me to bad clients' feedbacks. Of course, I couldn't say customers, uh, the more you pay, the better translations you will get, because I had no idea where I could get these better translations. 
Obviously, I was unable to edit, proofread and check all texts that we translated that time. So I tried to push my partners, I mean Palex and the Linguista. Uh, what about to start uh, up the school right now? But they had some other priorities at the time. Finally, in early May, I told them, guys and girls, I respect your priorities, but if I don't launch the school today, I will kill my agency tomorrow. The 13th of May 2014, we announced the first course and invited students to study English, Russian, cybersecurity, legal and civil engineering translation. These were uh, my first subject areas I taught that time. So we addressed the challenge without colleagues. By the way, they were finally happy with this outcome. My school trained some freelance and in-house translators to them. As for criteria that, determines, uh, that determine the course start. In the beginning, it was very easy. Uh, there was an enormous lack of education product for translators. And at that time, the translators were ready to buy everything we were able to offer. Now, uh, that is four years later, they choose courses more carefully. So, if someone wants to work as a trainer in our school, the first thing we ask about is their translator's experience in the claimed subject area. When I sought a trainer for civil engineering translation instead of me, some translators wanted to fill in this position, however, they had no idea of how a thermostat works. The second thing that matters is a lesson presentation. We ask the candidate to present a course to the audience. If the trainer mumbles, is unable to convey the message of his or her material clearly, the students, in this case the customers, won't buy it. The third thing. The trainer must understand the food chain of the explained industry. The trainer must clearly understand what power does his or her course offer and for what market challenges, uh, what is the practical application of the course. Otherwise, the course is useless, purposeless. To sum it up, our trainers are not random people. All of them know our approach and understand that our school isn't the place to make a fast buck. They are in love with what they do. Truly, we absolutely have a lack of stuff. For example, after sanctions many Russian companies found the domestic market too small, so they thought how uh, to enter foreign markets. Obviously, that among other actions, they have to have uh, their materials translated into English and taking into account extremely low ruble course and in this regard where higher uh, high rates of american and european translators russian customers prefer to work with russian translators at least for draft translation however there are not so many to russian translators that can offer affordable rates and a decent quality of these draft translations under the circumstances we think that a course of Russian English marketing translator translation or at least a master class would be a perfect fit, but we have no trainer. The same situation with oil processing. Now we have a translation course for oil field development, oil field exploration, 
oil field production um, oil production sorry and nothing for oil processing though we have already got some queries for potential students and potential customers and so on and so forth following up a bit on the question about cpd for translators one of the highlights of your blog for me are the the unpolished no holds barred posts about all the joys and surprises of project-based learning in college which a lot of times sounds like hurting cats well needless to say way back when and I was in college, we did not have anything even close to resembling project-based learning. So my question to you, in your experience, would you say that having an ability to work on complex projects as part of a team is becoming more important for translators than say, uh, mastering the skills by yourself and being a lone wolf? If I understand correctly, the question is what is more perspective being a unique expert and constantly improve the skills or being an efficient team player and develop an ability to work under pressure in my opinion both options are perspective because an expert is also a part of a team however i tend to consider an expert as a mastermind a scout a discoverer a person who finds the forward for the whole team they process the first hundred of project terms, they translate the most difficult sections of project material, they know what to do if any translation and localization challenge arise. They are locomotives, but still they are part of a training. As for the project-based learning, it depends mostly on the project manager how to wisely distribute the responsibilities between the team members and we nurture project managers in such groups. If the project manager is a gifted, talented one and is in his or her position, he or she combines the resources so that uh, his or her team will enjoy the synergy effect, where, for example, 1 plus 1 equals 3, or 5, or even 10. Otherwise, team members will duplicate each other's responsibilities and in such team the equation may come even to 1 plus 1 equals 0.5. It is project-based learning that helps in translators to see in what role they are the best fit for the project, in what role they are the most efficient. I am in roles of translators, editors, proofreaders, terminology and other specialists. That helps them to go into the routine of every role, to understand it, and then to define their self-development priorities. That's the way they will become unique experts, locomotives, later. Translation lovers clubs are getting outdated. Teams uh, led by unique experts and powered by numerous and sufficiently qualified team members are the future. And I think that uh, in the near future even cookie-cutter translations will require experts in machine learning and post-editing. Speaking of project-based learning, you have just started a Project Hell Bootcamp for translators of business books. And again, we'll add a link to this webpage for our listeners in the show notes. Could you tell us more about it? Any exciting developments so far? 
I think it's too early to talk about any exciting developments. The course began only a week ago. However, for us it's a kind of experiment. We haven't done anything like that before and uh, the course format, I mean project-based learning, is not quite clear for translators. Some of them even thought that we were going to exploit them and to take their money for this exploitation. In fact, we selected a book that can be considered a business book, but isn't protected by copyright anymore, and invited the translators to prepare a print-ready, or better say, publish-ready translation. Uh, the group chose a project manager, the project manager assigned roles among team members, and Nadezhda Kazantseva, an experienced uh, fiction translator, reviews the teamwork, translations of each chapter, and writes her comments on how to improve the translation. After the project, we intend to print this book in Readero, publishing house, and mention all participating group members as co-authors of Russian translation. That's the essence of this course. So we have started. Some students continue joining us, others decided that the course doesn't meet their expectations and took their money back. I discussed the issues with the chosen project manager Svetlana Yushkevich and with the trainer Nadezhda Kazantseva, they said the main problem is people's background. It is very different from fresh postgraduates to professional translators with uh, over 30 years experience of technical translations. Each type of student requires a different level of support and attention both from the trainer and from project manager. The other logical issue is that regular lectures, workshops, don't work here, because, said already, everyone needs an individual approach within this group training. However, I am sure we can manage both issues. Nadezhda is a highly experienced trans uh, translator and trainer, uh, so she will find how to handle it. As for project manager, uh, she was chosen by other students she hadn't done anything like that before, and I did my best to show her how to manage projects. I showed her how to lead Scrum Kanban boards. The system is highly adaptable to changing roles between team members and even to changing number of team members. Currently, a project manager knows what operations and what timing must be included into any specific stage of a translation project how to introduce a new team member to the project, how to find the best possible role to, uh, for them, I mean translator, editor, terminologist, uh, localizer, fact-checker, and so on. I am sure she will be able to manage her own projects after this course. As for this project, we've chosen a book about etiquette, published in the beginning of the 20th century, that period is characterized by changing rules of ceremonious etiquette of uh, 19th century of the 19th century so the book is not moralizing but rather ironic the curious uh, thing is that students found some interesting facts about that epoch explored mindset shifts checked out facts so the, this is not another garbage in garbage out translation but uh, culturally Adapted translation. Honestly, I've never seen translation courses like that before. 
And speaking of other courses your translation school offers, on the page for the upcoming course in marketing translation, we'll definitely link to it in our show notes, uh, you have some pretty spectacular examples of pretty not fun translations. Are there really desperate clients who just can't find anybody who could do better? Or is this more of an issue of market transparency in your view? You know, there are lots of factors. I didn't spin it out of uh, thin air. I just went to pressrelease.ru, looked through a couple of articles, press releases, and found this nonsense. If it is in this website, somebody has written them, right? By the way, uh, these examples are not as ridiculous as uh, some certain giant optimized texts may be. So, yes, it's hard to find a good tech marketing translator. For example, it took us a half of a year to find a pseudo French-Russian translator requested by our client, wristwatch producer from Switzerland. We start looking for a translator who can both accurately and smoothly convey the technical meaning and marketing message of the client's materials. But that's in French. The situation with uh, English-Russian translations uh, looks similar. Just trying to find a person who can translate Cisco's presentation of DDoS traffic scrubbing device correctly and smoothly, making the text technically clear and easy to read. Four years ago we failed to do it quickly. Neither of freelance translators in our database delivered the required quality. It had either poor style or was a technical nonsense. Finally, I had to suspend all my managerial duties and to save this project that I stood translated on my own. As I got more and more engaged into copywriting, I found out one more interesting fact. If a client saved on copywriting quality, the copywriter doesn't do his homework. And the selling copy is nothing else than a high-flow nonsense. And a translator is unable to fix this text. This text is dead-born, and the translation rate doesn't matter absolutely. Speaking of local and global markets, where do you stand? Can translators living outside of their home country be truly great or even good? Unfortunately, I don't know much about translators living abroad. I've never been outside the former USSR. I can judge by foreign specialists uh, that I hire for our agency, and if they are great, it doesn't matter where they live. For example, one of our Indonesian-Russian translators lives in, lives in Indonesia, but previously he lived in Russia. We hire him regularly. We also work with a Russian translator now living in France, who is good at making hard to pronounce and hard to understand the so-called officialese Russian phrases into articulate and clear near-native English. In other words, globalization is everywhere. It's a reason why I left Moscow in European part of Russia for Tomsk in Asian part of Russia. I discovered then that nobody likes to visit offices in Moscow. Nobody cares whether I am in Moscow office or in my cottage in Siberia. However, living in Siberia is cheaper. By the way, when I moved to Tomsk 11 years ago, social selling and social networking 
were poorly developed. Now, in the 21st century, you can work even from St. Helena if your internet connection allows that. Uh, following up on that provocative question, uh, do you plan to make your courses more accessible to English to Russian translators living overseas? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what's wrong with their accessibility. As far as I know, our courses are accessible worldwide. People from the Great Britain, Australia, Netherlands or the USA can buy it via PayPal. At least we have a dozen of students from these countries. If you are talking about an English version of school website, it doesn't make sense because our products uh, are for those who speak Russian fluently. All information is also available as we've got numerous points of subscription for our promotions, products and articles. It's no problem to be in touch. Currently, we don't boost our courses via LinkedIn on Facebook, but we are going to do it later. Now we are developing our website and loyalty program. Lastly, other than your blog and courses, any tips and resources you would recommend to our listeners in order to maintain their language skills? Well, for technical terms, I would recommend Israel Solomon Shalit resource. Uh, that is uh, intent.gigatran.com. For advertising and transcreation, I would recommend to read a lot of fiction plus uh, some books for copywriters by Alexander Karepina and uh, Denis Kaplanov, plus books for writers by Yuri Nikitin and Mikhail Weller. Moreover, books of Nora Gell and Maxim Ilyakov for follower would also be useful. Sometimes it's hard to find exact words. In these cases I use kartaslov.iu and wordassociations.net in addition to Caesarus. As for IT technologies in which I major, all I can advise is to fall in love with products of regular clients and follow their news and blogs. I assure you, if you love your client's product, you will also be interested in how every particular feature works, uh, is called, is designed for, and is challenged by. This knowledge discovers the secret layer of sense, and you will understand both what an author said and what he or she didn't say but implied. And a final question is, um, going back to your uh, translation agency, absolutely love your LinkedIn post uh, about being sort of more transparent and honest in your uh, value proposition and promises. And I really did like your new hero section where, you know, you take a different stand and uh, do not promise things that you know you won't deliver or things that everybody else has been promising for a long time. Could you tell us more about the decisions and the uh, process by which you arrived to this hero section and how you've chosen the hero image? I think there are too much lie in the translation industry. We are afraid to say to our clients that we are just humans. We are trying to persuade clients that our human translations and translation projects are free of human errors. They can't be, 
it's silly and nobody believes it. I am a strong follower of Japanese management methodology, which accepts inevitability of human mistakes but requires continuous rectification and improvement. They call it Kaizen. So do we. I have Gemba every morning. I go to the agency or to the school, look at what uh, and how people are doing, and if I see a problem, I draw a senior colleague's attention to it, we run a brainstorm session and decide how to fix the problem. With that in mind, I came to our designer and told him to convey the idea that we are ordinary people, but hard-working and reliable vendors. We can't and we won't promise miracles, but we promise to work hard and to do our best to exceed clients' expectations. So I wanted to see an ordinary but creative and hard-working person on our website. Maybe a writer, but not just a doll, not a human mannequin with a dictionary in his hands. Our designer showed me some variants, including uh, that guy. I thought he perfectly conveys our idea, our concept and our values, so I approved the design. That's the end of the story. And that's our show for today. We are very grateful to Evgeny for finding the time to answer our questions. And to our audience, thanks for listening. Please check our show notes to find links to Evgeny's website and the articles that we referred to in this interview. As usual, you can find our podcast on iTunes and Google Play, as well as soundcloud.com forward slash ATASLD. If you have ideas or suggestions for our future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to Ekaterina and me. Have a great day.